0: That's indeed.com slash Blue Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Before we start this episode of Bench with Bubba to get you ready for your fantasy prospects you'll need for this draft season, don't forget to give a rating review on iTunes. Get you into the Listener League if you're in a desire for that. The second Listener League is getting set up as we speak. It's already half full, and it's going to be awesome 15-team format. The winner of the league gets a copy of the 2021 Black Book and a guest spot on the Bench with Bubba podcast. And speaking of the Black Book, go get the 2020 version. So much great stuff. I did the catchers and relief pitchers. Get your relative position values and everything you need to get ready for the upcoming fantasy baseball season. We give a rating interview on iTunes. Much appreciated for the show. But for now, Benfoot with Bubba, Episode 252, Fantasy Baseball Prospects and more with James Anderson of Rotowire. Back everybody to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 252. We're gonna talk some of the younger players, some prospects, some second year standouts potentially as you're getting ready for your fantasy baseball drafts. It's always fun to have the shiny new toy, but is it actually worth drafting the shiny new toy? And to help me break all that down, we have a recurring guest, a good friend of the show. You can find all of his great prospect work over at rotowire.com. He's on Twitter at real Jr. Anderson. James Anderson, how are we doing, my friend?
2: I'm doing great. It's awesome to be back on with you, Bubba, and yeah, excited for today's show.
1: Yeah, should be a blast. It's uh, it's kind of funny. I actually, well, not funny, I guess, but I thought about it right now that we're going to talk prospects, and I know that's all you, you you get asked tons of prospects uh, questions, but then I just realized today in the Rotowire podcast feed is the prospect show, so you're probably just one after another after another. But uh, speaking of the the podcast and everything else, why don't you let everybody know what you have going on over at Rotowire?
2: Yeah, I I do the prospect podcast with Clay Link every Wednesday. Uh, You can find that under just the the RotoWire baseball prospect feed, or there's a separate feed for the prospect podcast if that's all you want. I also have the top 400 prospect rankings that are very fresh. I I updated those uh, a little less than a week ago, so... Uh, those are up on the site. I, I strongly recommend checking those out. And we just, we just have a lot of great content up there for for baseball right now. Uh, everyone on the site does really good work, so I definitely recommend checking it out.
1: Yep, I've said it many times. I've had a lot of. Uh, I've been fortunate to have a lot of RotoWire uh, people on my show, and I've been a RotoWire subscriber since college. So we're talking about fifteen, sixteen years ago now. So I've I've been with these guys for a long time, and uh, I literally pulled up the top four hundred this morning. As a dynasty draft, a uh, redraft started up today. So um, yeah, they, they're always updated and always help me out because I'm not always up to date on the prospects deals. I have enough time keeping up with the other 400 guys going to draft. So um, I, I love having tools like that. And like I said at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk some prospects that guys might be drafting or guys we hope come up early. We're going to hit on some guys that came up last year, like a Palooza and some others, and how we kind of or how you see them this season. And then we'll hit on some listener questions and other things. But let's just start with the the man of the hour these days. Ever since he got that extension with the White Sox, Louis Robert. I, I always want to say Robert. It just seems like it should be Robert. But Luis Robert Lubob makes it easy. James, he's going high in drafts right now, around 70 to 80, depending on where you're drafting. What are you expecting from him this year?
2: You know, I think he will uh, meet expectations for the most part. In terms of the power and the speed, uh, those tools should play pretty well from day one. Uh, I think he eventually could be a guy that's hitting thirty-five plus home runs. That that won't be this year, but I think he could get to twenty this year. And I, I certainly think he'll steal uh, twenty to thirty bases if he stays healthy. Uh, there's the reason I'm not really ending up with him anywhere is because I I'm currently projecting him to hit a little bit below two fifty and given where he's going i would just rather take someone like tommy Pham there because I, I sort of know what i'm getting with him and the power and the speed should be fairly similar uh i just i think robert could re- reward people that are taking him where he's going i just don't expect him to uh so so high risk high reward with with robert for 2020
1: and and the excitement's there and he does look pretty strong and i guess the good thing is is we barring something weird he's going to start out with the big club right out the gate so that's always promising you know in years past you know Vlad Guerrero and company we were hoping they'd be up and they weren't up at different times Acuna but at least Robert we know should be there I'm a lot like you I kind of I, I like my uh, certainty earlier in drafts and I'll take my gambles later type situations so I haven't landed on uh, Robert anywhere I have Tommy Pham and then another guy what's your thoughts on this kind of a comparison who would you rather go here because right now, since the fifteenth of February and online NFBC drafts, Robert's going around pick seventy four at pick seventy eight is Ramon Loriano. Um, would you go Robert over Loriano or would you trust what Loriano did last year?
2: I would take Loriano I, I think yeah. that he uh, should have no problem beating Robert in runs and RBI. I think he probably is a better bet to to lead those two in home runs, and I would give Robert the stolen base edge, but I wouldn't give it to him by 10 steals. I'd probably give it to him by six or seven or eight steals. Uh, So at that point, I think you have to go with the proven commodity. Um, Maybe if you're just absolutely desperate for speed and you're trying to win an overall prize or something like that, you could go Robert. Uh, But to me, it's, I'm I'm with you. I, I like going fairly safe in the, uh, first hundred or so picks if if I can,
1: well, I guess it's a good thing we don't draft together so i don't think i've I don't think I've been in a league with you yet, but um, I literally in t g f b i in my league in round five, I just took L'Oreano instead of Roberts, so thats uh, we're on the same page on that one. Let's go to the next uh the next interesting one, and you believe what you want out of camp these days, and you know the powers to be in in Anaheim are saying Joe Adele is not ready to be in the bigs, and some people point to his triple a numbers then others point to how good he just is, period. Uh, looks like he's going to start in the minors, barring something changing. He's going around pick 219 right now. You would imagine he's still coming up early, but what's your thoughts on Adele? Do you think he comes up early, and when he does, is he worth taking a gamble on around pick 219?
2: Uh, I think that he will come up when he's ready. You know, I think that they uh, – I I don't think he's ready right now, but he's talented mm-hmm. enough that that could change in a hurry. I mean, he he could definitely look ready this spring. He could look ready in April. Uh, but there's a chance he doesn't look ready till June or July. I mean, you mentioned what he did at Triple A. Uh, you know, he went to the Arizona Fall League. He was he was fine there, but he didn't he didn't stand out to me as the clear best prospect in the AFL or anything like that. So, uh, to me, he's a guy that that we should be very excited about in dynasty leagues. But I think the 2020 hype is uh, a little overblown, and I think it it sort of peaked with him uh, back in like November, December. January and I think the more people kind of look at it the more he's sort of sliding down because there is that risk that he's not up anytime soon and I I really don't like that that price tag on him I you know I I actually would take Dylan Carlson over Joe Adele for 2020 I just think he's got as good a chance to be up in in April I think he will have success right away whereas I think Adele uh, a lot of the same concerns I have with Robert are there with Adele but Unlike Robert, I don't even think we can count on Adele for 10 steals this year, let alone 20-plus steals.
1: That, that's a really good point. Um, we we all remember Fabapalooza last year when all these prospects came up at the same time, which was fun because it's usually not the case. But we saw some people talk about they didn't want to be in Fabapalooza because they were holding out for Jordan Alvarez, all kinds of different scenarios. Um, I know one of the listener questions, we can talk about it later in depth more, is stashing, you know, stash season, which we talk about a lot, trying to get ahead of the train in an FBC where you can With a lot of prospects, you can't unless they're drafted, obviously. But say a guy like Joe Adele is um, in up for fab finally. Is he a guy that you're maybe saving money for for the time he gets to come up? Or is it just kind of when he comes up and you have the money, it's cool. If not, you're not worried about it type situation, if, if that made any sense.
2: Yeah, probably the latter, just because I – you, you know, my answer to that question would probably evolve as the season goes and we, and we see how he's doing with AAA. Like, if, if he's just looks like he's mastering AAA and he's cutting down on the strikeouts, walking a little bit more, then sure, he becomes a guy where you, you might want to get aggressive when he gets the call. But there's no guarantee that, that those uh, performance indicators are going to be there with him. So, I, you know, to me, the save all your fab for a guy type of thing. I I try not to really look at it that way. Inevitably, someone will emerge like Julio Rodriguez or Wander Franco. One of those types of guys could be up in June or July, and then people are just going to absolutely blow their budget. But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. So I I think you just have to kind of approach Fab week to week and and try to be as smart as you can with it.
1: No, that's very true. That's the way I go about it. I I didn't get anybody in Fab with Blues, and I, I was okay with that. Um, you mentioned Dylan Carlson. This is a popular name after just, you know, I've seen you tweet it and others. Uh, before last season, he was like a, pros- like a a good prospect. He wasn't like high up on the Cardinals list and all these things. And then he has boat raced double A AA and triple A last year. It's, it's amazing looking at his stat line. And now there's, you know, he's got a chance to make the opening day roster or come up early on. And you mentioned you'd rather have Carlson over Adele. He's going to pick, two, at least at the draft price, he's going to pick 294. Are you a believer in a uh, if Carlson gets the job out the gate he's going to you know be be pretty darn good and are you willing to to draft him hoping he gets the job
2: I would be if I draft him I'm I'm expecting him to open the year at AAA and I'm just hoping that he kind of gets the you know late April early May type of call uh I I believe that the Cardinals might have an open mind in terms of him uh winning a job on the opening day roster but I really think he's just going to have to crush it in spring training which he could uh, I think if he's just like pretty good I think he'll probably head to AAA to start the year uh, but I, I do think he will have immediate success I think that he's the type of hitter where it's really tough to find a, a flaw in his game uh, you know he, he uses the whole field he hits a lot of line drives he walks a lot he doesn't strike out too much he's got speed he's got power he's a he's a good defender he can play all three outfield spots uh, he's just a really safe player to me and, and a guy with kind of a deceptively high ceiling.
1: Yeah, there there seems to be a lot to like with what he's doing right now. So hopefully he gets the job because, you know, Bader and O'Neal have always been, there's been hope there we just haven't seen it yet. And I, and I give him, they haven't got the run to maybe prove themselves, but it's an interesting group with O'Neal, Bader and uh, Carlson, depending on how that all plays out. And Carlson being the lefty in the group helps out a little bit, I'd imagine for his argument's sake. Nick Madrigal is a fun one. His name's starting to come up more and more as drafts get you know closer to March now. Going around pick two thirty eight. The hit tool is great in the minors. We haven't seen it in the big league level, and I've heard some interesting scenarios on him of how how people think he'll succeed at the big league levels. What's your takes on Nick Madrigal? Because that draft price just keeps rising right now.
2: Yeah, I, I just don't really find myself taking him, and I've even passed on him when my like projections suggest that I should maybe take a look at him just because it's it's really difficult to build a, a balanced team with a player like Mick Madrigal. And Rob Silver wrote a really good piece for our magazine this year sort of about roster construction. And, you know, we all want to chase this speed. You know, we all want to be very competitive in stone bases. There's not much speed out there especially in the range where Madrigal is going, you can definitely talk yourself into him being kind of your savior in that category. But we also have to be competitive in home runs and we have to be competitive in RBI. And if you're starting a player like Nick Madrigal uh, from the moment he debuts all season long, I think you're going to get less than five home runs from him. And so that means you really have to make that up elsewhere on your roster. And, And maybe you've gotten enough power early in the draft that you can make that happen, but, uh, to me, I, I don't want to chase speed to the point where I'm starting a guy all season who's probably not going to hit five home runs.
1: That's a great point because it, it's almost like you're getting the rabbit profile without the rabbit stolen bases, and that's that's a scary situation to uh, go into a, a roster season with. So, interesting way to look at it because the hit tool is great. Maybe a better real life player than fantasy player at this point in time. Let's go to Seattle. This one kind of took me by surprise. I saw Evan White play for Modesto a year or so ago, and, and he was good. I knew he was one of their top prospects. was in Double A last year, and now they paid him, gave him an extension, and will likely start with the big club this year. It, it's, it's interesting because he's a starting first baseman going around pick 350. We just really haven't seen it at the big league level. Are you willing to take a chance on him basically in the end, end rounds right now?
2: You know, I I would be I I haven't ended up with him anywhere, uh, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think if you kind of get, I, I don't think he should be your starting first baseman, but he might be your starting corner infielder. And yeah, if you get if you kind of miss out on some of your priority targets there, I think he's a fine end game play uh, because there is there is some more upside with him than I think there is with with a lot of the players or a lot of the first baseman going around there. But the thing to keep in mind with Evan White is. Yeah, he's probably gonna open the year on the on the big league roster, but he's completely jumping over triple A. And he, he finished the year really strong at double A, but you know, I think there's probably gonna be an adjustment period for him against big league pitching and I, I just I think the end of season totals for him are gonna be shallower mixed leagues. So I, I'm really excited about Evan White's future. I, I expect I'll have more shares of him in twenty twenty one though than I do this year.
1: Yeah, I just can't bring myself to uh, take the chance on him just yet. It's one of those, if he gets it done, cool. I'll, uh, I'll watch from a distance in that scenario. couple of young pitchers that we've we've heard a lot of buzz about in Forrest Whitley, who has just been a roller coaster, seems like he's close to an injury or a, a random poor performance. Seems like we'll finally see him this year about pick 311. And then there's Mackenzie Gore for the Padres, a big-time prospect, got to double-A last year. And people are already trying to get on the he could be this year's Chris Paddock bandwagon. And he's going to pick 271. So he's going 40 picks in front of Forrest Whitley. What are your thoughts on these two guys? Because personally, I, I I like the shiny new toys. And I don't like to take a lot of chances. And taking a chance on a pitcher is even sketchier for me. But maybe you can talk me off of it with Whitley and Gore.
2: No, I think we're going to be aligned on this one. I I absolutely love both guys in Dynasty. I am still driving the Force Whitley bandwagon. I think he's gonna be an ace. I think he's gonna be a top ten pitcher during his prime seasons and you know, Gore could get there as well. But, you know, they're just because Paddock won a spot on the opening day roster last year, it doesn't really have a ton to do with Mackenzie Gore. They they have a much deeper rotation this spring than they did last spring. And you know, people will point to like, Zach Davies and say, "Well, like Mackenzie Gore's better than Zach Davies." Well, obviously, he's better than Zach Davies, but Zach Davies brings you absolutely nothing in the in a bullpen role. Uh, he's going to be a capable fifth starter when he's throwing to Austin Hedges, and I I just don't see Mackenzie Gore moving a guy like that out of the rotation. Maybe if one of their guys gets injured, that opens up a spot for Gore. But, you know, they they still have, they're going to have a lot of competition in camp, and it's tough for me to see them going with the 20-year-old if it's close at all. Like, if Gore is just their best pitcher in camp or their second or third best pitcher in camp, maybe that wins him a spot. But, you know, there's a chance we don't even see him in in April. And with Whitley, if he's crushing it this spring training, he's throwing a lot of strikes and stuff like that, maybe I'll start to scoop up some shares. But... Again, I, I expect him to be sent down to Triple A. don't love stashing pitching prospects, especially if they're pitching prospects that to spend a pick in the top 300 on. Uh, there's guys like Spencer Howard, who I think are just as likely to be uh, assets in redraft leagues this year, who are going like 100 picks later. So I'm not really going to be getting any Whitley Gore as of now.
1: All right, let's go to Philadelphia here. Uh, Scott Kingery looks to finally get his chance uh, either at third base or second base. It's kind of up in the air. Maybe the outfield, for all we know. Uh, Gene Segura, second base, third base are, are options as well. And then everyone keeps saying, don't get too excited because Alec Baum is coming. But all I hear is the defense is, is suspect. We know the hit tool is good. There's some question marks with Alec Baum. He's getting drafted back at pick 360. Do you believe Alec Baum is going to make an impact this year? And if so, do you think it affects like a Kingery or a Segura? Uh,
2: I think what would happen it, when he, if he gets the call, assuming everyone's healthy, uh, I think Kingery would just shift to center field and it would affect Adam Hazley or whoever they, they have out in center field. The the thing about Baum is you, you'd mentioned the defense. Like as soon as the DH comes to the national league, he's going to be their first baseman and Reese Hoskins is going to be their DH. He's not going to be, a long-term third baseman he did a ton of his damage last year in the hitter friendly park in redding Uh, if you just look at what he did uh, away from redding he slashed 242 329 398 and i would just caution against looking at those numbers at double a and just thinking that he's gonna hit the ground running against big league pitching Uh, he might hit for average he might hit for power, I highly doubt he does both of those things, especially as a rookie. so I, I think there are better prospects to stash kind of in that range. I, I'd rather take a flyer on Jared Kennick personally. I, I think he is going to be up around the same time as bomb, if not sooner, and I think he's primed to have success earlier on than bomb is.
1: That, that's a perfect uh, I'm going to ask you you know Clin, Andrew Vaughn, Kirillov. Uh, Brian Hayes is is often mentioned a lot of these guys aren't getting drafted right now you mentioned you'd be willing to stash a clinic are there any other prospects uh, you're looking to stash in deeper leagues right now because it seems like a lot of these other ones at the higher price tags you and I both kind of are sitting back and not you know taking the picks on but some of these guys that aren't even getting drafted or are going super super late are you looking to take a chance on anybody else
2: Um, You know, know, the guys that I keep ending up with are Dylan Carlson, Jared Kalenick, and Spencer Howard. Those are really kind of the three guys where they're going for next to nothing in the case of Kalenick and Howard. And I like the price on Carlson. I'm not opposed to be like last year. I I took I had a decent amount of. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. shares, even at the the price tag, and, and that didn't work out, obviously. Like, I'm not opposed to paying up for a prospect. Uh, I just don't really see it this year with the guys who are going super high. Uh, Gavin Lux, if, if you want to count him, I mean, he is a prospect technically. He has made his big league debut. I, I, I'm happy to take Gavin Lux where he's going. But in terms of just guys that have not made their big league debut, it's pretty much Carlson, Kalenic, and Spencer Howard for me.
1: All right, let's move on to some guys that we did see last year and we kind of are maybe hoping to improve even more or we're taking chances on. You mentioned Vlad Jr. And, like, I've been nicknaming them on previous shows the baby Blue Jays. Like, there's a fun group of young players up there with Bo Bichette, who I'm huge on. You got Kevin Biggio, if he can fix it. Maybe be more aggressive at the plate. His plate discipline's almost too good because he's striking out looking a lot. And then you got Vlad Guerrero. Like, those three guys alone are, are super young, talented players. Uh, amongst others on the roster. Are you expecting them to a high or low on any of those big three guys? Uh, I, I
2: already ended up with Vladimir Guerrero jr. And TGFBI. I've ended up with (laughs) some places already. Uh, I have Kevin Vigio in in an OBP league already. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's a time and a place to draft all those guys. Don't really have any concerns. I, I think, you know, we we often sort of talk about last year's uh, bums kind of being the the value for this year, and it doesn't really apply to a guy who's still getting drafted inside the top 60, like Vlad Jr., but mm-hmm. I, mean, I I really think he's going to uh, come back with a vengeance in year two. I think he's going to hit over 300, uh, might not get to 30 home runs, but as long as he stays healthy, he could get pretty close to 100 RBI, 100 runs. Mm-hmm. Boba Shet. You know it, he's not going to steal the type of bases he was stealing in the minors, but I still think he could get to twenty twenty or, or maybe twenty five, fifteen, something like that. I think he's going to hit for a high average, score a ton of runs. Uh, Kevin Biggio, not as good in roto in, in batting average leagues, obviously as OBP leagues, but uh, another guy that could flirt with twenty
1: twenty. Yeah, I'm a big fan of all three of them. They're going to be fun this year for season long and DFS purposes. Let's talk Keston Hira. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers, they, they're running with them at second base. Really shouldn't be an issue for everyday playing time. I sh- like, I know they brought a lot of moving parts in there, but Hira should be locked in and just fine. He's going about pick 45. Like he's going ahead of Cattell Marte at second base, right behind Altuve, but it seems that and Keston are, are getting a little closer these days. Wouldn't be shocked if Keston jumps over Altuve uh, at some point in time. Are you believing in Keston continuing what he did last year because – if you're an X stats guy, he outperformed everything. But the hit tool's always been really good. So are you buying Kestin Hira as this elite second base option?
2: Uh, I mean, there aren't... The, the only second baseman who I would consider an elite option is Ozzy Albies. I, I think everyone else, to me, is kind of a uh, tier below. Uh, I think Hira, Glaber, Torres, Jose Altuve, Kel Marte... I think those guys are all very similar. So I would probably not be the person to take the first one of those guys off the board. But typically I've been – I've either been getting out of the Albies or I've been waiting at the position. Uh, It's definitely not as deep as as shortstop is. So ideally you're filling your middle infield spot with a shortstop. I think Hero is going to be good. I I just think – you know, I think he's going to hit closer to 270 than to 280. I think he could definitely get the 30 palmers. Uh, the stolen bases are going to be interesting. I, you know, I just – he he might have a knack for stealing bases, even though he's not that fast. Uh, and I think he's going to have a lot of counting stats in that line, and I just haven't really been adding up with him anywhere.
1: Yeah, I've been with you because the second base position, I like a couple of the guys like you mentioned, or I've just been waiting for Mustakis or even farther down. So we're here as getting drafted, I go elsewhere because, like I said, pick 45. That's the two three turn. And I'm either trying to get an SP one or another big bat right there. So it's tough for me to, to go with Keston. But I'm curious because uh, a lot of a lot of people are high on Mr. Hira. Let's go to what many might have forgot was a part of Fabapalooza and in the Grand Ski guy, yet the overall most roto category productive guy, and that is Oscar Mercado going about pick one thirteen right now. The value hasn't been climbing. he has gone as high as eighty over the last 10 or 11 days which is interesting to see that people are finally catching on to a guy that has some pretty good power some pretty good speed atop the cleveland lineup are you a believer in oscar mercado or was last year kind of the upper ones levels
2: i i'm a believer in him uh being good at the things we know he's good at like he's gonna steal 20 plus base if he stays healthy i think he's gonna score 80 plus runs Uh, I don't think he'll get to 20 home runs, so I think, you know, 12 to 15 homers is probably where I would project him there. I think he's probably going to hit around, like, 260, 265. I I have not been getting him because I really don't see a difference between him and, like, Lorenzo Kane, who's going, like, 80 spots later. I, I don't see a difference between... Mercado and Byron Buxton, who obviously carries more injury risk, but I think has a significantly higher ceiling than Mercado. Uh, so it's just, I, I'm having a hard time differentiating Mercado from some guys who are going much, much later and can still get me those 20 plus deals.
1: that's uh, There's some good names you mentioned there. I wasn't even thinking for some reason, I think I mentally just kind of try to forget Byron Buxton after all these years, but uh, it, it makes sense. Cause he's still so very talented. If gets if he stayed healthy, like what he was doing last year before he got hurt was ridiculously good. The overall production could have been great. So very, very valid point in that one. Let's go to Austin Riley, who when he came up last year was just a home run machine, and then he kind of disappeared and went back to the minor leagues. Now he's going to be fighting for playing time with Josh Donaldson out of town. Looks like Camargo's going to get that job. But Riley might play some outfield, and third base. We're still kind of waiting to see where he fits in. He's going just around pick two ninety eight right now. I I don't have any Austin Riley at this moment. Are you looking to be in the Austin Riley purchasing situation?
2: Yeah, I I I do like the price on Riley. I think that he's like you said. I mean, he's not free, but he's he's close to free. And this is a high pedigree prospect who is still just twenty two years old and. He has made adjustments at previous stops. Like, you know, When he first got to AAA, there was too much swing and miss, uh, not enough walks. He ended up mastering that level, forced the issue, got the promotion last year. Uh, most hitters end up going through an adjustment period like he went through, but he's young enough, I believe in the, the skills enough, and I believe in his work ethic enough that I think he's going to come out the other side and still be a really good everyday player. At some point, you know, I think Camargo is kind of the uh, emergency option if if Riley doesn't impress this spring. But I think they'd like Riley to kind of take that job in spring training just because Camargo, you can move around all, all over the place, whereas Riley, you know, he's limited to third base, limited to the outfield corners uh Camargo I just think is is more qualified for that utility role and if Riley has a good spring training I think he will get that everyday job uh the power obviously is very legit you know 30 plus homer power over a full season is is kind of what I'm expecting from him and I think he's going to make enough adjustments and, and cut down on the strikeouts enough that eventually he'll be like a 265 270 hitter I think people just kind of there's so much recency bias going on with Austin Riley that you know, this time last year he was a top-20 prospect. He was 21 years old. Uh, he forced his way into the big leagues and then had a, had a rough uh, final couple months, and all of a sudden people are holding that against him rather than uh, praising him for, for getting there in the first place.
1: And that's a very valid point. The recency bias is a heck of a drug in the fantasy drafting world, and I just we just talked about Mercado who's going up there and moving up in drafts as high as 88 in certain spots, about pick 112 and you're getting Riley at 298, that's quite a, a gap in overall draft spots for a guy that you said could you know, have some upper echelon power if he hits like 265 to send us. At a third base position, that's it's deep but not as deep as I think people want it to be type situation. It's, it's good, but not the same. He's going to have outfield eligibility as well, five outfielder leagues. Could be a, could be really, really nice to have at pick 298. You mentioned Gavin Lux earlier He's a a hot topic. He's up to pick 156 right now. We know the hit tool is great. What he did in the minor leagues last year was phenomenal. Stint in the bigs. Should be the everyday guy there uh, in L.A. How high are you on Gavin Lux?
2: I'm very high on him. Uh, He's my number two overall prospect, as you know. Uh, Just, you know, 70-grade hit tool. Uh, I think he's going to be a 25-30 to homer guy. Maybe not this year. I'm not projecting him for even 25 home runs this year, but I think he can get over 20. Uh, I think people are sleeping on his speed. You know, he had a, a nagging – I think it was a nagging hamstring issue, issue that he played through. I mean, that that kind of makes his numbers all the more impressive. He was kind of playing hurt for a good chunk of last season in the minors. Uh, he's an above average to plus runner, and I think he could steal 15-plus bases pretty easily this season. So. You know, people. I, I think he gets labeled as this low ceiling, high floor guy. What I'm envisioning from Gavin Lux during his prime seasons is a guy that hits 300 or better, with 25 plus home runs and 15 plus steals, and probably hits second in a big league lineup. I mean, that's that's not a low ceiling guy, and he probably doesn't get to those benchmarks this year. But uh, I'm happy taking him around pick 150, 160. I think that he, you know, the guys that go in that range, like people uh, like to crap on, like Byron Buxton going in that range. I mean, you're going to have some whiffs in that range. Like that, those are not safe picks. Like you, you have to take some risks. And if you have taken enough safe players early in your draft, I think you can afford to take those risks with guys like Gavin Lux.
1: Yeah, that uh, stat line you gave out, that sounds very familiar to your favorite second baseman and Ozzy Albies. Uh, If you miss out on Albies and you can stack Lux and you you obviously you said you don't expect those numbers this year, but maybe that's like the 90th percentile outcome. That could be a sneaky good, (laughs) sneaky good acquisition with Gavin Lux. So something to definitely uh, keep in mind because I've been wanting him. But like I said the other day on Twitter, especially in obviously you'll see in the NFPCs as we get closer to the season. ADP has been going out the window, which I don't have a problem with. I'm all about going and getting your guys when it's within reason. But the, there's some guys just going after boys, so it'll be and, interesting to see how that keeps going.
2: Yeah, Gavin Lux is one of those guys for sure because I haven't gotten him in every draft, and I've gotten him in probably half my drafts so far. Uh, the reason is it's it's so tempting to get greedy, right, and just say, "Well, you mm-hmm. know, he might be there next round." Um, there's there's enough people that are kind of like I think roster resource I don't know if they still do had him getting platooned and stuff like that and there's there's enough naysayers out there where I I think Gavin Lux can still fall in some drafts uh, but yeah it, it's it's very tempting to kind of use that ADP and and try to get cute but uh, yeah there's definitely something to be said for
1: going and getting your guy yeah go get your guy like I I love roster resource because at least it gives us uh, something to look at. But I'm also very cognizant in the idea that roster resource is off on a lot of it because we really don't know right now. The idea, if Gavin Lux is playing, is hitting the baseball, he's not platooning. That's pretty simple to me. At least, yeah. you know, he's at least playing five or six days a week. He might get a day off. So yeah. it's he's just not, not happening.
2: Yeah, he's not entering the year with a in, in a strict platoon. And he, if he struggles, he could play, play his way into a platoon. But uh, he a top yeah. five prospects don't get platooned to start their big league career.
1: Yeah. like Michael Chavis might be platoon. Gavin Lux, not so much. Um, Let's talk about another Dodger here. This is a guy that Dustin May, I was super high on. I have him on some teams I drafted early and then the news comes out. I know things can change, but I kind of believe this one with the Dodgers because this is a Dodgers thing to do. They pretty much already said they're going to keep him in the minors, which a I like because they, their other guys are just put in the bullpen so at least they're keeping Dustin May stretched out. So when they call him up, he's gonna start, at least on paper. At the same time, he's starting the minors, which really sucks. What's your thoughts on May now, now that we know or at least have the idea, he's starting the minor and he's going up pick two thirty three, give or take in the NFC?
2: Well, you know, he's also uh been dealing with a sore side muscle and on him the fact that he might not be in that opening day rotation. It's going to lead to him falling, I think, in a lot of drafts. And there, there might be some room to profit. If you're in sort of a, a stand seven bench spots, uh, you can afford to stash Dustin May if he's maybe the only pitcher you're stashing. Uh, you definitely can't get too stash happy in those redraft leagues. But I, I think there might be some room for, for profit here because I do expect the ADP to, to kind of plummet a little bit with May. Uh, And I'm with you. I mean, I think when he does pitch in that big league rotation, I think it's going to be really good. Uh, He's such a unique young pitcher for his age because he throws five pitches and his three best pitches are all thrown uh, over 90 miles an hour. The sinker, cutter and the four seamer. Uh, It's just a very unique repertoire. He's he's still kind of working on the the curveball. Uh, the change-up, the slider. So I, I don't think he's even scratching the surface on his upside long-term.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan. And you mentioned those three pitches all over 90. Just imagine if he could throw a change-up on that. Because, like, the, the slider and stuff's great. But when a change-up looks like a fastball, but now that's going, like, 82 or 79 or something, that would be mm-hmm. almost unhittable, <laughs> all things considered. So that would be uh, real fun to see. And uh, I'm going to stash him for now, but I'm just hoping – I'm hoping it's one of those deals because they're keeping Julio Urias, but he's not going to be able to throw a ton of innings, like maybe 130 or so. And eventually May's going to get his chance because it's the Dodgers. Like, you know it's coming, just win. Um, let's say it's fun. You got Jesus Lazardo pick 117. A.J. Puck, pick 219. Both just outstanding pitching prospects this season in the rotation possibly. We know there's going to be innings limits, but they've already kind of said they're going to make it work one way or maybe miss a start, six man rotation, openers, we don't know yet. How are you approaching these two guys in drafts?
2: So I only have them separated by two spots on my top four hundred. And that's been the case uh this whole offseason. I know Puck's been getting uh a lot of helium of late, but I think there there's kind of a misconception about how much is separating those two guys as as pitching prospects. They both have frontline upside. They're both just incredibly fun to watch uh so with that in mind I'm just taking AJ Puck and I have not been taking Lozardo mm-hmm. anywhere because of the price difference between the two if you can get one guy 100 picks later uh to me they're about the same in terms of innings I'm expecting they're about the same in terms of ceiling uh, I'm just going to take the guy who's going later uh, you should be careful I, the thing about Lizardo is one way that they could manage those innings is to have some shorter starts so you might be taking a guy in a range where he kind of has to be your sp4 and he might not even get close to 10 wins so uh, that's just not something I'm I'm that into uh, given the cost I mean everyone loves watching him he's such a fun player to own that I, I sort of get the excitement but uh, give me Puck uh, 100 picks later.
1: Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I, I'll take the, the pretty much similar talent, like you said, 100 picks later, because where you're drafting Lizardo, right before him, if we're talking starting pitch, Jack Wheeler goes five picks earlier, literally a pick later, Frankie Montas, f- uh, four picks later, Jack Gallon, Lance Lynn, Max Freed. I'm taking all those guys because I know what they have to offer. It's just it's yeah. just hard with Lizardo and, and potential pitch issues.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if if Zach Gallon were prospect eligible, I'd have him ahead of Jesus' Cisarino. So, one of one of them's ready to flirt with two hundred innings if he stays healthy, and one of them's probably going to get capped around one hundred thirty.
1: You're not believing this, that Zach Gallon's fighting for a rotation
2: spot, are you? <laughs> no, I, that's turned <laughs> into kind of a funny thing. I know Clay's been making a lot of jokes about that. Uh, he's their best starting pitcher. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't. I, I know that it's uh, you want to make them earn it. You want to kind of make the other guys think that they have a chance, all that stuff. But no, he's uh, he's going to be in their opening day rotation.
1: Yeah, that, that storyline. I, I I can't remember what show I was doing, but I was talking telling someone. I said, that, you know, storylines. Spring training's long, and beat reporters have to write about something, so they're going to just write about stuff. That one's just one you just laugh at and move on with, because like you said, literally is their best pitcher. He's better than Madison Bumgarner, so he's going to be pitching. Um, Let's go to Washington, where this is an intriguing one to me because Carter Kibum didn't really have the major league debut he was hoping for last year, but still crushed it in the minors. Looks like playing time is going to be there at least to start the season if he's hitting either at third base, the outfield somewhere for Carter Kibum, and he's going about to pick two seventy eight. So maybe you know a couple rounds before a guy like Austin Riley, but Kibum also got that pet. Interested in all on taking a chance on Kibum where he's getting drafted.
2: I mean, I think it's fine just because he's he's so cheap, but uh, not a guy – like he's not in my top 25. Uh, I, I think the ceiling is not quite there with him to the point that I'm getting super excited. I mean, I, I think he's eventually going to be kind of a 265, 270 hitter, you know, 25, maybe 30 home runs, something like that. So, you know, a good player. I, I think he fits best at third base. I think he's got a kind of a classic third baseman skill set defensively. So I think he, he slots right in there. Uh, but just doesn't really have that type of ceiling that I like to chase. Like, I, I would take, I'd rather stash Dylan Carlson for a month than take Key Boom, even if I knew he was breaking camp with the team.
1: Okay. Um, a couple other guys, real quick Kyle Tucker. Everyone's wanted Kyle Tucker to get his shot. It's just Josh Reddick, pretty much holding them back. Dusty Baker, who as a Giants fan, have experienced his love for veterans many times, um, has said, as long as he's performing, he's going to have a shot at an everyday job. He's going about pick one fifty three. We know the power speed's there. Are you taking a chance on Kyle Tucker? Because it's not like he's free. You yeah. actually have to uh, take him, or there's maybe some other options. Like Gavin Lux is going two picks later.
2: Yeah, man, this has been such a tough guy to, to figure out over the past couple of years. Um I I'm definitely not taking him where he's going. You know, I think you're you're getting really close to paying for the best case scenario at that price, in my opinion. Like you might get, you know, maybe you could get twenty twenty. I think it's more likely it's it's closer to like twenty fifteen is kind of a realistic power speed ceiling for him. Uh but the batting average I mean, he was he was just barely uh, better than, or I mean, he was 13% better than the average Pacific Coast League player last year. I mean, it, it's not like he was just banging down the door. Everyone wanted him to come up, obviously, but Jordan Alvarez banged down that door. Uh, Kyle Tucker did <laughs> not. And that was baseball, that was the PCL. Uh, I know the 34-30 looks really nice. He's not a plus runner, though. He's an above-average runner. He's not stealing 30 bases in the majors. I don't think he's going to steal 20 bases, at least not this season. So you're really paying for the best-case scenario with him at that
1: draft price. That is good to hear because I've been so wishy-washy on him. Like, I don't own him anywhere, but every time it comes to that point in the draft, I'm sitting there looking at it and looking at it, and then I just kind of go somewhere else. So uh, it makes me feel a little better about that decision because I can't get a feel for him at all um before we get to the listener questions you know there's like there's Mitch Keller there's Scott Kingery, there's Nick Sinzel there's all these young guys there's a long list of them like I said uh, like I just we could have talked about it for a long long episode but are there any other kind of young players you're taking chances on in drafts to maybe take that next step where there are values for you
2: yeah I'll, I'll just hit on one guy and it's Tommy Edmund I I you know I think I, I see more people kind of hating on Tommy Edmond than than kind of sticking up for him, and I'll, I'll stick up for him. I he really caught my eye. Like he's been on my radar for a while, but he caught my eye early last year with what he was doing in the upper levels of the minors. Uh, moved him up my top 400. Uh, when he got that debut, I I added him pretty much everywhere. Uh, at least batting average leagues. I mean he's less valuable in OBP leagues, obviously. Uh, so this is not a guy that, you know, like, for instance, what Kevin Newman did last year took me by surprise. Like, I was shocked that he was able to put up uh, that good of numbers. I expect big-time regression from him. Uh, I was not surprised by what Tommy Edmund did. I guess I was surprised he only got caught stealing one time. But just the fact that he was able to hold his own, hit for a high average, provide value in the field, uh, hit for some sneaky pop and steal bases like none of that surprised me with tommy edmund I'm, I'm a full believer in him being a very quality big league player i think the fact that he's arguably their best defensive player is going to keep him in the lineup the fact that he can move all over the field uh, i think matt carpenter's already hurt um tommy Edmond's a guy that I, I have projected to steal 24 bases this year i wouldn't be surprised if he gets over that and i think he's going to hit double digit home runs maybe not uh, 20 home runs, maybe not even 15 home runs, but I, I think the fact that I like him to steal 20 plus bases, I like him to targeting as a way to sort of address the, the speed concern.
0: Yeah, no,
1: that's a, I, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews on him. He's been a guy, but it's been hard for me to, uh, to narrow it. Before we go get to those listener questions, breaking news just came in. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, everyone was on the GN Stanton's of Value, uh, around the fifth round talk these days. A report just came out. He has a grade one strain of his right calf, and Aaron Boone says he'll be, um, it'll be he's very questionable to be ready for Opening Day. So, what does that do for you on Stanton, who was already a big topic of discussion in draft season?
2: Yeah, I mean i I didn't think he was getting discounted enough, to be honest. Uh, you know, it's just really tough to project him for more than like 120 games at this point in his career. Uh, this is not surprising, sadly. I think that this, uh, we'll, we'll see where he falls. We'll see where the market decides he needs to go. But I, like, I mean, I'd probably rather have mill Reyes at this point than Giancarlo Stanton. I think this is good for anyone who's got Mike Talkman shares. You know, he was a guy that might, might've gotten squeezed uh, for playing time. I think he, he's pretty solidly an everyday guy for them at the start of the season now. So I think that that's, interesting but uh unfortunately this is not very surprising
1: and does this still does this mean there's maybe a chance the yankees play clint fraser or are we just giving up on that (laughs)
2: uh you know (laughs) clint probably needs another injury or two um (laughs) I, i i think that they they've soured on him so much like if they could get anything for him in a trade i think they would do it uh the defense is just terrible. His attitude is, is pretty terrible as well. So uh, I don't really expect them to give him a look unless the, the depth chart really is, is afflicted by injuries.
1: All right, let's get to some listener questions. First from Taylor at Taylor underscore Bauer 11, frequent listener to the show. He wants to know, what is James' strategy when it comes to taking prospects in redress, specifically leagues like the NFBC? And what prospects are you targeting this year in drafts? We kind of hit on those, but if you want to give them your strategy, that would be awesome.
2: Just value, you know? I mean, if you uh, – you should not just be taking uh, a prospect. Like, you shouldn't just take Luis Robert or take Joe Adele because you saw someone rank them highly and you want to have some upside on your team. I mean, it's all about value. There's going to be guys every year that I think are values at where they're going, and – more often than not, it pans out for me. You know, sometimes it really does not pan out in a big way. Like, I was very high on Vlad last year. I was low on Fernando Tatis. That obviously did not work out. Uh, but, I mean, it's just all about value. If, if you think a guy is going later than he should, like, uh, you know, Gavin Lux, A.J. Puck, uh, guys like that, then I'm going to end up with a bunch of shares of them. If I think a guy's going higher than he should, Luis Robert, I'm just not going to end up with them.
1: And it makes sense because, out of you know, there's a lot of question marks and fantasy to begin with. With prospects, there's so much volatility that you're passing up on such certainty like we talked about early on in the drafts. Uh, let's go to Jeremy Hansen at jhansen underscore OP6. He must be a frequent listener to the RotoWire Podcast uh, Prospects podcast because he kind of jokes about it for you and Clay. When would you estimate it being stashing season during the regular season?
2: Oh, man, it's it's already stashing season. I'm telling you to go draft Dylan Carlson. It's it's stashing season. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it definitely heats up uh, late April. Uh, we really we really hit full gear on stashing season. Once we get into the month of May, though, uh, you, you'll you have uh, some prospects just off to really good starts in the upper level for the minors. You'll start to kind of get a clear idea of where teams might have holes that they might need to address through their farm system. So uh, stashing season probably peaks in middle of May, uh, Memorial Day, but look, stashing season's already begun.
1: Yes, yes, it has. It's always it's in a revolving door uh of stashing the best uh players period, not just prospects, but yes. Uh at KL Dog 79, Kenny asks, Alex Verdugo, this is a good this is a question because you know the prospect pedigree is there the back injuries are are just always in question now. And he asks, is "Alex Verdugo, a good player to draft or trade for? Like in a in a dynasty league, is he worth trying to acquire?"
2: Yeah, it's it's tough. You have to you have to be able to separate emotion from from this with guys like you know. I love uh, Luis Urias, uh, but I'm not touching him in redraft leagues because I'm worried about the handmade injury. Same thing with uh, Verdugo. I, I love the skills. I think he's going to be a really good player for the Red Sox. He's a guy that I'd like to trade for while his stock is at its low point right now in Dynasty Leagues. But, uh, you know, I I have a feeling this is going to be kind of a lost season for him, at least, you know, lost first couple months of the season. I think it's going to be tough for him to uh, return redraft value because Verdugo is a guy who needs 500-plus plate appearances to really return a ton of fantasy value. He's not a guy that's going to go 2020, or steal ten bases in a couple months, or, or hit 20 homers in a, in a couple months. Like he needs that full season to really compile all those stats and for that batting average to really help you out. And I just, I'm, I'm afraid this is just going to be a kind of a rough campaign for him.
1: Yeah, it's hard to really go in drafting him not how bad that back is and when he'll be back type deal. So it's tough. Talent level's good, but it'll be uh, tricky to see how that works. Uh, wake up at wake up one two three four five six seven eight nine ask and this has been a fun debate on, on twitter it's, it just kept going um louis louis robert or nelson cruz and it's roster construction independence, he's he said rated higher on rudy gamble's robot and that started the whole conversation with everybody but for you per se who has the better overall fantasy season robert or cruz
2: cruz and that's just because i have a kind of a more modest projection on Robert and I expect Cruz to kind of just do what he does. And, um, you know, if you have the projection on Robert that Rudy does, then it's probably Robert. Uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, I think Rudy has Robert hitting about 30 points higher in batting average than I do. And so that's, that's probably the, the discrepancy there, but, uh Nelson Cruz should be a twenty twenty five dollar player this year, and I, I doubt Robert gets there.
1: Yeah, Cruz is as consistent as they come. I know he gets older and that Father Time eventually will win, but I don't know when it's gonna happen at this point in time. Uh Batflip Crazy, Toby, co host on my Monday, on the Monday show. Twelve team, get your calculator ready here, James. Twelve team five by five home keeper league. He keeps up to five guys. Penalty is one round per year when we keep players. We sign them to one, two, or three-year contracts. He has Luis Louis Robert and Kyle Tucker at round 14. So obviously, he keeps them, I believe that means round 13 next year. Are Robert or Tucker worth three-year deals or too much risk to lock in as one of five keeper spots for three years? That was a lot. But do you are they worth the risk for three-year deals?
2: I think Robert is. Uh, I do not think Tucker is. And... Part of this is because, uh, like Toby's saying, you only get five of those spots. So I you could maybe make a case for Tucker if, if you just had endless spots there. You could keep 20 guys, 30 guys, something like that. But I just – I can't imagine Tucker being one of your five best options, whereas Robert, you know, even even though I'm low on him this year relative to ADP, I mean, I think he's going to steal bases. He's going to hit home runs. Like, that. that's not going to be an issue, I don't think. So I, I'd be okay rolling the dice with Robert there.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to just tell Smada, use the same answer for yours, because I have... you, James, you've seen his tweet about his year-by-year flip-flopping. That is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, so we're going to go with just Robert on yeah, that we're, one as well, as Smata, we're Thank you we're for the boring,
2: question. Not tweet. I, I, I'm not <laughs> not sure if it's a serious tweet, but uh, we're definitely it.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Stephen G. Buckets asks... What, what was that?
2: I love Smada. I just, we're, we're ignoring this tweet.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I'm with him. Smada. I'm in TGFBI. i him. one of the great guys. Can't, I'm 99% sure it's a troll tweet. I'm just going to go with that right yeah. now. Um, Steven G. Buckets asks One guy I think, uh, one guy you think is worth in DC's that's not getting any buzz is Brent Rooker. What's your thoughts on Brent Rooker?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm going to have to disagree. I. The problem with Rooker is he's a bad defender everywhere and the twins have kind of a, a handful of these guys that sort of, you know, they have guys like Alex Kirilov and Trevor Larnack who are probably going to both open here at triple a, you know, that they, they have like Jake cave is, is certainly a better defensive option than Rooker's ever going to be. Um, I just, I don't, really see an obvious path to him getting playing time now if he were a a solid defensive right fielder or solid defensive left fielder or solid defensive first baseman my answer would be different but I you know I even think they would give like Lamont Wade uh, another crack before they'd give uh, Brent Rooker a shot just because of the defense
1: yeah if they're giving Wade a shot yeah you definitely can't Wait for Rooker right now. And the last listener question we have from James at James underscore AG1. He says he's, le- he's heard a lot of talk regarding uh, leagues with overall prize pools. How do you adjust in regular 10 to 15 team leagues? Can you get away with punting categories? So leagues with overall prize pools, James, how do you adjust to going for the overall, not just a regular league? And can you punt? Was he,
2: is he asking – I thought he was asking uh... – in ten, in just standalone leagues, can you punt? Right?
1: Oh, I thought it was. Uh, well, we could go either way with this. How would you compare? How do you compare standalones? Well, yeah. How do you approach a standalone versus a, uh, you know, overall? Yeah,
2: you 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 definitely can't punt in in an overall. You have to be like that's why in TGFBI right now, like my league, I'm sure your league as well. Uh, speeds just getting pushed up extremely high. Uh, pitching's getting pushed up extremely high because you need to have a balanced team. You can't have any weak spots. And so the, the scarce items are going to get pushed up in, in those leagues with the overall prize pools uh, in the the standalone leagues. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend punting. And I, I certainly wouldn't go into a draft with the plan of punting. It, I think you can definitely punt in head to head leagues, head to head category leagues. You should be planning on punting at least a couple of categories, but in a, in a standalone Roto league, You can get away with, you know, maybe not full-on punting, uh, like saves or steals or something like that, but you can be fine with finishing bottom third in one category, Uh, but you you shouldn't really go into the draft planning to punt. You should just be able to adjust on the fly and say, like, look, instead of reaching super hard on this closer or really, really reaching on this guy for steals, maybe I just you know, suck it up, know they're not going to be all that competitive in that one category, but continue to pound value. I think you can definitely get away with that in a standalone league.
1: Yeah, definitely. That that's the big difference is you have to cover the bases and finish in the top tiers in every category in a overall standalones you can play the game a little more and uh, dominate a couple categories and if you do that you can afford to struggle in maybe one or two at the most in some of those other ones. So Definitely agree with you on that one, James. And on that note, that'll wrap us up this week. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Once again, plug where they can find you and all the good work you got going on.
2: You can find me on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. I tweet out all my articles there. That's where I'll let you know when I update the top 400 prospect rankings. Uh, If you go to rotowire.com slash podcast, you can get a free 10-day trial with no credit card. So you can just check it out if if you're not digging it. We don't have any of your information. You can just walk away. Uh, and then the podcast that I do with Clay, there should be one up uh, around the same time that this one's up. Uh, we'll be talking NL West prospects this week. And I do the Sirius XM radio show uh, Friday around lunchtime and, and Saturday in the afternoon.
1: Yeah, always a lot of great stuff from James. Um, go check it out. If you haven't already, try the free trial at Roadwire. You will not regret it. But James, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, joining me today, this
2: my friend. Thanks for having me on, Bubba. This is always fun.
1: No problem at all, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 252. Talking prospects and second-year players with James Anderson. Catch you guys later.